This is 99 Novels, a podcast by the International Anthony Burgess Foundation. In 1984, the writer Anthony Burgess selected his 99 favourite novels in English since the outbreak of the Second World War. Never short of an opinion about books, Burgess's list is typically idiosyncratic and invites closer attention, so we've invited some of the leading scholars, critics and writers to tell us more about each of the 99 novels. So read along with us as we explore a reading list created by one of the most original literary voices of the 20th century. In this episode, we talk to Rob Mallows, creator of the Dayton Dossier website, about Len Dayton's Bomber. Published in 1970, Bomber follows the disparate characters caught up in an Allied bombing raid on Western Germany during World War II. The story is told from many different points of view, including both British and German flight crews, and follows the assault from its preparations to its ultimately tragic conclusion. Len Dayton was born in London in 1929. He's perhaps best known for his espionage thrillers featuring his character Harry Palmer, memorably played by Michael Caine in a series of films. Palmer first appeared in Dayton's debut novel The Ipcress File and went on to feature in six more. As well as 27 novels, Dayton has written several military histories, travelogues of London and Europe, cookbooks and an investigation into the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Dayton is still writing at the age of 93. Rob Mallows is the creator and curator of the Dayton Dossier, the internet's only comprehensive resource about the life and works of Len Dayton. It can be found at www.daytondossier.net. For more links to Rob's projects, check out the description of this episode, where you'll also find a list of all the books mentioned. Here's Will Carr of the Burgess Foundation who spoke to Rob Mallows about Bomber in July 2022. Well, welcome, Rob, and thanks for taking part in the 99 Novels podcast, uh, which this episode is to talk about Len Dayton's fantastic 1970 novel, Bomber. Um, Rob, you run the Dayton Dossier, which is an amazing resource all about Len Dayton's writing, uh, and I wondered if we could begin just by asking you, how did you first encounter Len Dayton's writing and what were your first impressions of it? First of all, thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. Uh, yes, I, uh, for I think at least 15 years now, I've been doing the Dayton Dossier website, but it's also a, a blog and also a, a, a Facebook group and Twitter. So we're all over, as every organisation has to be these days, all over the internet. How did I first encounter Len Dayton's writing? Well, it wasn't through Bomber. Uh, it was through his other, I guess, magnum opus, uh, which is the series of books Berlin starting with Berlin game Mexico set and London match that's a more traditional spy thriller for which he's known um that was my starting point I loved those novels I purchased the other six in the series and then as often when you find a writer and an author you like you start buying the other novels I found out he'd also written histories and bought those then I started seriously collecting his first editions to build up a collection this is at a time when uh, 
Len Dayton's books were relatively cheap to purchase. Uh, I found all of his books interesting. Uh, the more I got to know about the man, it piqued my interest further. He's sort of very uh, rare these days. Or certainly um, is a working class author, uh, a Londoner, very much an autodidact, uh, as well as being a you know, being an author. He's also a historian. Originally started off his life as an artist and a direct, uh, an art director. Worked as a steward on BOAC Airlines, so he's a one of these fascinating people who's read a very led a very varied and rich life. Um, Bomb was Bomber was probably one of the last novels of uh, Len Dayton's to have been read by me. Uh, it's his longest novel, but having read it, I certainly felt it was worth the investment. It's to me, it's always been uh, very much a definition of a sort of page turner, and in preparation for this podcast i've been reading it again uh, it's probably been at least uh, 10 years since i last read it and like any good book uh upon second reading and third reading new things come to mind little bits you've bits of dialogue and uh bits of detail you may not have read before uh, have come back to me so it's been a, a a pleasure actually to sort of dip back into the book again uh, and um hopefully in our discussion we'll get a sense from you know what what makes it a sort of a unique book for its time and why it was included included in the uh, Anthony Burgess's 99 novels for that period. So I'm um, looking forward to a good discussion with you. Absolutely. Well, well, maybe we'll start, maybe we'll start with your rereading of Bomber then. I mean, for the clue is in the title, perhaps. Um, it is about uh, a bombing raid or a fictitious bombing raid, I should say, that took place um, during the Second World War. But maybe perhaps you could... Um, just take us through what happens uh, for listeners, just in, in a very broad sense, and give us a sense of what uh, readers could expect to find. Indeed. Well, you're, you're absolutely correct. It is about a wartime bombing raid, uh, an RAF bombing raid. Uh, what's it about? Well, interestingly, it's set on the fictional date of June the 31st. And it's uh, using a sort of, I guess, a classic storytelling technique, which is to tell... Uh, uh, a story from start to finish of one day. It's a story of an area bombing raid over Germany, Germany, but it's told from multiple perspectives. And when I say multiple perspectives, I mean multiple perspectives. There are a lot of characters, a lot of locations, a lot of storylines interwoven into this book. And I think that's one of the things that any reader who reads the book ultimately will find is one of the things that makes the book what it is. There are a number of sort of key characters that we follow throughout the book. The first is Captain Sam Lambert, who's a RAF Lancaster bomber, flying his bomber, the creaking door. He's a sort of key um, British perspective, I suppose, a key British character. His German opposite number is a, a pilot called Victor Lervenhurtz, Baron Victor Lervenhurtz, uh, a Junkers fighter pilot. There's also a key character in uh, on the German side called August Bach, who's a captain of a German radar unit based on the Dutch coast, who has a housekeeper and a mistress, Anna Luisa. So those are the sort of three, I suppose, the key main characters that we encounter at various points throughout the novel. But as I said, there are lots of other sub-characters or sort of other characters, if you will, who are interwoven within each of these characters. 
The novel uh, is a very even-handed perspective between these three different uh, locations and three different protagonists in the war. And it's actually, I suppose one of the attractions of the book uh, as a reader is it's quite honest and unflinching in its recognition of the realities of war, both what's the impact of human frailty and courage and fear on the protagonists, both in the plains and on the ground, but it also recognises, I think this is the really interesting perspective in the novel, that most of the characters, not least the three sort of main protagonists, are morally flexible. They're also f- flawed, but also they're quite honest and even for the German characters, quite uh, interesting and relatable. Now, in terms of plot, as I said, it's uh, it's very well constructed around basically uh, a 24-hour period of the day. Uh, and the plot is relatively straightforward. It has a, uh, a start, a beginning, a beginning, and an end. It's not a particularly convoluted novel. It's quite linear in that respect because it's very much driven by the, it's a, the timetable of the bombing raid, so to speak. And there is a certain inevitability and a sort of slow motion car crash element to the book because even from the start of the novel when you are reading about RAF bombers being loaded up with high explosive bombs and discussions of targets etc as a reader you already have a sense that the bombing raid is going on so there will be tragedy there will be violence there will be action involved so to some extent this sort of the uh, a lot of it is foregrounded for the reader but the challenge and the interesting aspect I suppose is that as each and every character is introduced and as I said there are hundreds of them uh, some with only a few words of dialogue some with page and page of dialogue what you don't know yet as a reader is while the tragedy is, is on the cards who, who will be affected by it how the different links between all the different characters and their lives will be uh, worked through so that's the sort of the, the I guess, the, the challenge for the reader, but also the most exciting part for the reader is that it's really a, about um, every page, is, there's a new, uh, a, either a new character to think, where do they fit within the story? Uh, as the novel ensues and as the planes get into the air and the bombing raid starts, there is... Uh, an element of sort of uncertainty for the reader, and that comes through very well, I think. Absolutely, yeah. It has this really um, uh, this kind of driving energy. I think that you know, it's you, once you get on the plane, you can't get off it, and you know, there's uh, there's really no escape. One of the challenges I found though when reading it was um, was wondering how much uh, weight to give to each of the characters because uh, Dayton's quite. Uh, unsentimental about a lot of them in the end i mean we won't spoil the plot but uh, it seems to me that you know he doesn't shy away from um from removing characters from the scene you're you're absolutely right as i said there are a lot of characters but also as one works through the book you is it's clearly established that a lot of them are to the plot and to the uh, narrative they are dispensable in a way um so the you're right in a sense from an author's perspective having such a huge cast of characters it's it a from a sort of uh, a writing perspective it requires a lot of discipline and i know from uh what the write what the author has written about uh, about the book subsequently uh that you know this was one probably his most meticulously planned uh, novel 
Uh, he used a system of simple uh, card index file cards, maps on his wall. There's a very famous photograph taken for the publicity uh, back in 1970 around the book, showing him sitting in front of a, a map of Europe with a sort of uh, 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 diagrams of uh, various bombers and uh, radar. You know, this was uh, uh, about a year and a half's worth of research went to this book, and also in the writing process, you know, understanding how each of these characters, where they fit in the novel, when they come in, when they come out, it's uh, it's as as the author, as a sort of an example of the author's uh, author's putting a lot of hard work into a novel. It's a great example of that. But equally, I think the fact that at the end of the novel, as you say, he, a lot of these characters are, are expendable. But at the end of the novel, the re- uh, as the reader finishes the novel, and it ends on quite a sort of tragic note, as I can say, without giving any details away. But it's a sad ending and a realistic ending, nonetheless. There is an epilogue, um, which essentially uh, in which the author uh, talks about you know what happened to some of the characters who did survive, what happened after their lives. So there is a sort of recognition that war, you know, and it, to use the cliche, war is hell, but equally, war is survivable. And a number of the characters uh, he has as an author the uh, the opportunity to give them a little bit of sort of uh, a life beyond the twenty four hours under discussion in the novel. Yes, he yeah he does. It has the effect. You see it a lot in television documentaries. You know, where are they now? Kind of bits at the end, and it has a similar sort of effect. And it seems to me that Dayton has a bit of fun with that. Actually, you know, he makes some of his characters turn into alcoholics. Some of them become successful business people. You know, some of them kind of disappear. That that kind of thing. Um, but uh, and and to me, that the overall effect seemed to be that the um, uh, it, it's to do with the arbitrary nature, really, of of uh, well, of the war, but also of, of people's experience of it. You know, some people are just taken away and, and killed, whereas others, you know, go on to to live long and happy lives. And it, it's nothing to do with their um, with how, with their character, with how, you know how moral or otherwise they are. It, things just happen to people. And it seemed, I, I wonder if uh, if Dayton was was pointing some towards something about the implacable nature, really, of experience, or specifically wartime experience. Well, I think you're absolutely right. As I say, I mean, uh, um, as I suppose we're experiencing uh, uh, at the moment across uh, uh, in the eastern part of Europe. You know, war is 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 a it's tragic. B it affects both those involved directly and those involved indirectly, i.e., civilians. And that's a sort of a, a theme that comes through strongly in this book. In this book, and so it's obviously it's talking about a different war, but the themes central to it are, are universal in terms of whether you survive or not can be as much down to, as I say, dumb luck, uh, which is certainly one of the, uh, the key sort of tropes or the key sort of narrative twists in uh, in this novel, which determines the fate of many of the people on the ground, is that the reason uh, the bombs fall where they do and not where they're intended, which is one of the sort of the, uh, perhaps uh, giving a little bit away about the novel, is down simply just down to sort of human error. So it's, it, as you say, it's a... It's very human in that respect. Um, there's no need for any great sort of um, sort of I can think about sort of word Deus ex machina, but there's no sort of supernatural element to this. This is just basically about what happens when you put 600 or so bombers in the air, fly them for three hours towards Germany through flak, through fight, attacks by fighter bombers. It's a sort of recipe for chaos, and that does come across both in terms of the chaotic action that ensues throughout the novel, but also, of course, like you say, the sort of 
those who survive don't necessarily survive because of heroism or because of uh, their particular skill, just be, just because they're ultimately lucky. You, you mentioned uh, Dayton's room with his map and all his research materials and all that kind of thing. And, and this is one of the things that um, Burgess himself touches on in his recommendation for Bomber. Um, he talks about how, um, well, and I'm quoting him here, he says that there has to be room in fiction for work whose main function is to bring the dead past back to life, less through imagination, through imaginative speculation, than by processing historical documents. And I think he's talking there about Van Dayton's particular approach to, to research. I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit more about that, because um, cause it, it's, uh, well, it's, it's a, it seems to be a, a, a sort of monumental task that he took on. And um, I'm just interested in how the book itself was achieved. Well, you're absolutely right. I think it's, it's even going back to some of his original novels in the 1960s, the uh, so-called Harry Palmer novels, which people may be familiar with. Even back then in what was a sort of conventional, or a conventional spy novel, uh, it was noted by reviewers back then that uh, throughout the books and indeed in a series of endnotes and footnotes throughout the text, that uh, as a writer, he was as much interested in about giving people as much details as, as he felt they, they ought to know to be able to both uh, improve the telling of the story and advancing the narrative, but also just because some of these things are quite interesting. And he very much, I think as a writer, enjoys passing on to the reader what he calls surprising bits of research. Now, some critics have commented, and perhaps there's a case for this, that it, in, in some novels it gets in the way the telling of the story and the development of the characters. But I think in Bomber, it's actually one of the most important elements of the book because as a reader, uh, to each of the situations through sitting in the planes with the with the character with Captain Lambert and his crew, through sitting in one of the fighter planes or through on the ground being with the German radar operators, every bit of detail in there, and there is a lot of detail, which is why it's quite a long book, but it's all been meticulously researched, and it's also it brings that sort of touch of very similitude to the novel. That as a reader, you have a sense of, well, I might not be able to fly a plane. I have, I'll have uh, after reading this novel a much better understanding of just what it takes to fly a plane. Now that didn't happen by accident. As I said, he uh, in writing the, he was a meticulous uh, researcher and a sort of planner. Uh, his, as I said, he would have whole wall charts in which individual scenes, individual characters, all this information written by hand on card, uh, index cards, would be sh- stuck on, moved around, uh, torn up, etc. So a very meticulous and sort of methodical approach to novel writing rather than any sort of uh, sort of mystic approach or sort of uh, seeing where the pen led him, so to speak. And indeed, talking about pens, this was... One of the, I suppose, the things that made this novel possible, given both the complexity of the narrative, the amount of detail and the amount of just stuff going on, is that famously this was the first novel written on, uh, well, I suppose you would call it not home computer, but written on a PC, the, an IBM, I think it's the IBM MT it's called. Um, yeah, the IBM MT slash ST. But there's actually been a book subsequently uh, written about six, six years ago, a book called Track Changes, which is a history of the word processor. And there's a whole chapter devoted to Bomber. Um, and in it, you know, Dayton explains, uh, you know, 
what what advantages uh, doing so gave to him. Previously, for example, on some of his earlier novels, he would go to the extent of, in editing his own work, uh, you know, cutting and pasting, literally cutting and pasting paragraphs of text from one part of a, 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 um, a manuscript to another. With Bomber, he and his uh, assistant, his typist, were able to do that much more efficiently uh, and much more, and it gave him much much more sort of control over this huge amount of information and in the novel. So it's interesting in that respect that there's a sort of a given, of course, now most and pretty much all books will be written on some form of uh, computer with software, and it's sort of second nature for most authors. Back then, this was a pretty revolutionary approach because I think, as I say, it gave him the power to. Uh, much more control as an author to really sort of get everything, get the details right and get the flow right. Having, you know, the success of his first few novels, giving him not just in terms, not just um, significant wealth, but also significant time to give up uh, his day job as an artist and become a, an author full time. That gave him also access to uh, the people who could really help him tell his story. So in this case, uh, he talked to British, talked to German fighter pilots, bombers. He talked to officials in the RAF. He was able to spend time in Germany, in Holland, which is also where his wife is from. There's also a uh, quite a famous publicity photograph from the time showing uh, Len Dayton standing in front of a Junkers bomber. Now, they don't feature in the novel uh, because he wasn't able to get access to a Lancaster at that time. But, you know, he actually went up in the air uh, flew uh, with the bomber crew just to understand uh, quite how you know how bumpy, how noisy, how cramped a bomber is. But also, of course, uh, not just in terms of research, but from his personal experience, as uh, he didn't serve in the war, he was too young. But uh, post-war, for his national service, he worked as part of the uh, RAF intelligence service as a photographer. And so he actually has uh, his own experiences of flying in Lancasters and mosquitoes, flying over various parts of Europe, taking photographs. So um, both from his personal experience and just through the sheer amount of legwork uh, and time spent in the Imperial War Museum, in libraries, um, all of this stuff was piles and piles of, uh, uh, of sheets of paper and manuscripts and photographs, etc. cetera. Um, the fact that he ended up eventually putting it all together in what is, as you say, Anthony Burgess regarded as, as one of the classic 99 novels. He did that through you know, a combination of, I guess, good writing skill, but also sheer hard work uh, and uh, the application of new technologies. So the process is, uh, you know, is familiar, I guess, to many writers that there's a, there's a lot of legwork and a lot of sweat and hard, hard graft goes into producing something like Bomber. Absolutely. And well, and it seems to be taken to quite an extreme, really, here. That's fascinating about the word processor story, because because Bomber is a novel in many ways about a machine. And, uh, Absolutely. It, and it's uh, um, and, and Lendator's writing of the novel is in some ways about a machine, about uh, about the IBM word processor. That's fascinating, too, about Dayton uh, serving in the forces after after the war. Uh, because Burgess, in his recommendation, was very impressed with um, with how Dayton got the details right about uh, about serving in the military, even though he obviously didn't serve in the Second World War himself. Um, I wanted to ask a, a question about 
I suppose it's about the relationship between the documentary realism that you've described so well, um, but the, also the fact that Bomber is a novel with made up characters, with made up dialogue, made up completely made up events, really. And to me, I, this perhaps throws up an ethical question, particularly when you're writing about war and conflict. What do you think the ethics are of portraying historical events like this in fiction? And do you think Bomber is, could be described as an ethical book? I suppose what I'm getting at is that, uh, you know, the, the the war was a monumental historical event in which many people fought and died. And um, Len Dayton is using this for novelistic purposes in some ways. You know, does he have a responsibility to those people? Now, my, my own view about this, I suppose, is that he, he discharges that responsibility by learning so much about about the bombers, learning so much about, you know, the, the, the places that they flew over. Um, but nonetheless, he puts it all in in a book as uh, you know, as a novel, as fiction, as as to some extent entertainment. Yeah, I think you're right. It, clearly, it's while it's obviously a fiction book, and and that's made clear, as I said, the reference to June the thirty first. These are the fictional account of a, a bombing raid, but it's ethical in the sense that as an author, um, he doesn't he chooses not to pull punches and not to pull the wool over the reader's eyes in a sense of certainly some of the scenes uh, later on the novel as uh, the high explosive bomb, bombs, which is, which the reader sort of hears a lot about at the start of the novel loaded in and carried across the channel by the, the Lancaster bombers. Um, when those uh, ultimately dropped on their, what is assumed to be the right target, um, the, the, some of the scenes and some of the descriptions of the sort of firestorm that results are pretty unflinching. And while it's not it's not uh, pornographic in its portrayal of violence, it equally is it's it's unflinching in its recognition that bombs ultimately are there for one purpose. And in terms of the ethics of war, I think what comes across through a lot of his characters, particularly in the first half of the novel, and I think this is the it's probably one of the interesting aspects of it. It's a novel of two halves. It's only really up to half of the, around about half of the novel takes place, or the reader gets through to about halfway. It's only around that time that the bombers actually take off. So what you've got for the first half of the novel is a lot of dialogue, a lot of scene setting involving all of the different characters, both their current experiences um, of wartime. So from the sort of fighter pilots' perspective on the German side, you've got a lot of... Uh, discussions about, I suppose, the ethics of uh, their role as an occupying force in Holland. You know, uh, the, the character, um, August Back, who is responsible for the radar uh, installation in Holland. Um, you know, there are lots of bits of dialogue between the different German characters, which give you a sense that far being, they are not, let me put it this way, they're not portrayed as cartoon Nazis, if you will. Clearly, they are all Nazis, but they're also all Germans. They're all uh, the characters uh, all come from different parts of Germany. Some of them are very much in favour of the war. Some of the uh, the characters on the ground, some of them are thieves. Some of them are involved in uh, uh, clandestine love affairs, both on the German side and, and the, the British side. So they are all very human there in that respect. And... I think what, from an ethical perspective, I suppose, what I found most interesting about the novel is that 
both sides in the conflict are essentially treated, given equal time, I suppose, but also given equal humanity. Now, in the context of a war, a book around the Second World War, and, and a particularly a book involving Nazis and the Luftwaffe, in the 60s, given that the book was written only 26 or so years after the events in which it's, the fiction events in which it, it's betrayed, but after the sort of you know, the Battle of Britain and the bombing campaign over Germany, these were memories still fresh in the minds of many people on both sides of the channel. So to write an, a, a, a novel in English for a largely English-speaking audience, which um, gives an honest betrayal, both of the fact that you know both pilots and crew on both sides of the conflicts had an understanding that they were killing people, killing families, killing innocents on the ground. But the fact that even knowing that, they also recognised that as soldiers, they had a job to do. And ultimately, as the bombing crew, they recognised that their success in bombing factories and uh, the material of war on the German side would ultimately bring the conflict to a successful conclusion for their side. Equally, there's a recognition uh from the German characters uh, in the book, that while they, some of them may have misgivings about the war, equally they are all soldiers, they are all there to do their bit. And also, characters on all sides, uh, as portrayed in the book, they are also demonstrate an extreme amount of bravery. So while the book see, doesn't seek to glamorise war, I don't think, in fact, it does the exact opposite, it seeks to de-glamorise war, it also recognises that in war, that there is the opportunity for love, the opportunity for humour, uh, particularly in the sort of repartee in, in and amongst the uh, the crews on both, both in the bombers, uh, but also on the ground in, in, in Germany. That those are also parts of war, as is um, lazing around reading the newspaper and thinking about uh, writing postcards home to the family, you know, all aspects of war are covered, not just uh, the violent aspects of it. But ultimately, uh, I think the the fact that uh, ultimately this is a story of this is a tragedy, uh, and a lot of the characters come to tragic ends, sometimes through no fault of their own, is a very very ethical approach. Because ultimately, it recognises that war is what it is: it's destructive, it's deadly, uh, and it's very human. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I think that I think that really covers it. And um, I, I was very interested in what you're saying about um, the uh, way in which Bomber might have been received in well, it came out in 1970, it was written in, in the late 60s. And did you have any sense of that? Was was there any um, was it unusual in its portrayal of you know Germans and others as um, as being fully rounded characters? I got a sense of that. I had a look. I've uh, been looking through some of my archives over around uh, trying to find some of the reviews in 1970 when it came out. Um, that there wasn't an aspect of that. I think certainly later on as well, and not necessarily bomber, but later on in the mid 70s when uh, the author produced a, a, a non-fiction book called Fighter, which is a, 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 a history of the air war in the Battle of Britain. Even back then, he was um, he came under attack from some RAF veterans for what they perceived as his 
demythologizing of some of the aspects of, uh, of the Battle of Britain. And in a sense, I think with Bomber as well, while he, I don't think as, as a novelist, or certainly in this novel, there's no sense in which he, he pours disdain or does anything in the portrayal of the characters to be overly critical or uh, disrespectful to the memory of anybody involved, certainly neither on the British side or the Dutch side or on the German side. It generally, I think the reviews, and certainly in the UK, were reasonably positive. I think uh, some of the local, I think I found a, a cutting from the Belfast Telegraph, which again called it a chilling indictment. Uh, the New York Times reported, uh, covered it as the novel's characters are treated with a cool, mechanistic detachment, while bombing planes and air defence systems are anthropomorphised. As you said, is a lot of this novel is as much about humans it's also about the, the, the technology and i think a lot of the reviewers picked up on that and i think subsequently there have been some critics who uh looking again at the novel have probably said that maybe there's too much technology in the novel too much of a focus on the, the machines if you will but as i said earlier i think the author has always had uh, a long-standing sort of interest in the role of Material, the role of tanks, bombers, guns, bullets in the hands of humans, and how war is inevitably a function of the march of technology. So that what happened in the First World War was incredibly different to what happened in the Second World War. Equally, as we're seeing at the moment, what happened in modern warfare is vastly different to the events described in Bomber. But ultimately, I think as a historian and as an author, he found a, a sort of good happy medium between providing that verite, which comes from utterly accurate descriptions of bombers and radar screens, right down to the sort of nuts and bolts and the, the panels and the screens, etc., and the ways of operating them. But it, ultimately, I suppose, like you say, the, the, the characters, while there are lots of them, and it's difficult as a reader perhaps to keep a, keep a track of all of them, through the dialogue and through the uh, the relationships that come across between them, particularly the crews of the bomber, um, you get a sense that these are characters that are pretty relatable. Some of them are funny. All of them, are, as I say, are immensely human, and they're all varied, as as we are, as all of us are, anyway. So, in that respect, the uh, the re the response I think was was recognised that that he got just about right that mixture of uh, storytelling and fact telling. But also, I think, given that in 1970, up to that point, he'd written, I think, uh, I think it was six spy novels plus a couple of other books, one called The London Dossier, which was a sort of a tourist guide to London. Up to that point, he'd become known as a spy novelist. So there were some reviews I found that noticed uh, the fact that we recognised that this was a departure from what he'd done, both in terms of the subject matter, this was a, a, a wartime novel rather than a spy novel, but also the fact that his approach was different. The This novel, Bomber, is certainly much less laconic in tone compared to The Ipcrest File or Funeral in Berlin, his early novels, which brought him the sort of the fame and fortune which allowed him then to, to graduate to Bomber, if you will. There are certainly far fewer wisecracks, fewer jokes, uh, and sarcastic sort of tones across the novel. There's also, it's a novel without a single main character. And there are some, there are some main characters, if you will. But unlike Harry Palmer, his famous spy 
there's no um, there's no sort of single narrator, and I think that makes it both that gives a sort of different uh, sort of tone to the novel. You're not just getting one person's perspective on the story in this novel. You're getting hundreds of perspectives, but certainly three or four perspectives from the key characters. All perspectives from absolutely different main characters, all of which have different perspectives. Ultimately, they're all focused on the same moment in time, the same location, whether that's flying through it, uh, locating it on the radar, or ultimately being on the receiving end of a bombing raid. So I think there's a there's a rec- it, it marked a change for the author. Certainly, that's absolutely true. Thanks for sharing those reviews from from 1970. That sounds sounds in many ways like it this book was the war novel that people were waiting for in some ways you know it's um uh yeah it, it kind of uh, captured the you know the range and complexity of the experience in a way that resonated with people who had actually recently lived through it um i wondered if you could say a little bit about Landayton today and perhaps the reputation of this book what, what do you think it might offer contemporary readers has it dated in any way or is there can we still find things to enjoy in it Yes, I, I mean, yes, clearly it, it dated somewhat. There are, I mean, having read it through again recently, there's the odd uh, reference, the odd line of dialogue, which uh, might make, a, let's put it this way, might make a millennial reader's eyebrows raise. But those are trivial. I mean, ultimately, it's, it's uh, he's using the English language. He's using all the sort of standard author techniques in terms of dialogue, description, uh, plotting, etc. It's, as I said, right at the, probably right at the start, it's a very, structure is very simple, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And he, um, and he's, he said in the past, that as an author, he likes to be clear and explicit. And I think that's one thing the novel Bomber does very well. It's, it's very readable in that sense. It's, the chapters are not particularly long. It's it, also it's like I say for a reader it feels often as one read it it's rather like uh, to some extent like a sort of long form TV series in a sense of I said maybe in a sense it, it's quite quite well suited to, to the modern reader perhaps with a slightly less uh, lower threshold for boredom and used used to maybe TV series or internet series that are sort of fast form. While it's it's a long novel, it's not a fast novel to read. As I say, there it's a degree of it flashes like uh, there's, there's lots of sort of hard cuts between scenes, moving from the bombers, moving to the ground, moving to the radar station, back again. It's, in that sense, it's quite fast paced. So, it certainly I think it remains readable. In terms of one whose uh, relevance to today's audiences, I think one of the interesting factors is that compared to uh, an author like uh, one of his contemporaries, John Le Carrier, who both he and Ian Fleming and uh, and Dayton are regarded as sort of the, uh, the the three demigods of spy fiction, if you will, the sort of the real uh, heavyweights. Um, John Le Carrier was writing until his uh, death recently, the uh, last couple of years, and uh, a lot of his novels were turned into films uh, as well as TV series. So. He had uh, still had sort of a, a, a quite a clear relevance both with spy fiction audiences, of which there are still uh, many readers across the world, but also with just contemporary fiction writers and fiction authors and readers. Uh, Dayton, um, 
has, I, it'd be fair to say, has probably in the last 10 to 15 years been something off off of the cultural radar, if you will, of, certainly in the UK. Now, that's not to say his books have forgotten. They've been, they are continually in uh, in print. Uh, new editions were published for his 80th birthday and last over the last 12 months, Penguin has reissued all of his novels, including uh, Bomber, with fantastically inventive and really creative front covers by the design team at, Brist- at Penguin, which are, uh, I think, some of the finest examples of paperback cover um, design I've seen uh, for a long, long time. They're really great covers, and the Bomber cover is particularly good. So while he may have uh, lost a little bit of sort of awareness in the public consciousness, as a writer, there is still uh, demand for his books. They're still selling. Uh, you will have noticed earlier on in the year, uh, the Ipcrest file was turned into a successful uh, six-part series by ATV, uh, sold uh, to about 25-plus countries across the world. So that will have brought a new, younger group of readers uh, to his novels, and potentially also to Bomber as well. Um, famously, of course, uh, Bomber was turned into a Radio 4 serial, uh, radio broadcast um, at least 25 years ago, I think now. Um, I think it was for the, and it was rebroadcast, I think on the 50th anniversary of the war. I, I, I'm not sure of that, but certainly it was, it was broadcast over one day in real time on different sort of parts of the schedule in Radio 4. So there will be, there are, indeed, there are many people I know through the Facebook group for the Dayton Dossier who told me that they first came across Bomber as a novel through the radio broadcast, and then went on to read the novel again. So I still think it has relevance. Clearly, um, as we mentioned earlier, the fact that we're now in Europe in 2022 facing a war on our doorstep, as we were facing in in 1939 to 45%, and the fact that bombs are being dropped in a very different way from, from the scenes described in the novel, you know, it still has relevance, and the fact that uh, whether it's in nineteen uh, in the nineteen forties or in the year twenty twenty two, ultimately, you know, war is still a part of life, and bombing and the military uh, involvement in uh, or the, the the tendency of military involvement to ultimately impact on civilians is as relevant today as it is when uh, he wrote the novel in 1970. Absolutely. It's, um, yes, it's distressingly topical in some ways. And I must say, I'm surprised it's not been made into a film or a television series. It reminded me in many ways of uh, the film Dunkirk um, in the way in which different uh, different characters are given the point of view. And, you know, the uh, the attempt to to show the you know the sweep of experience from the you know the people in charge of the military units down to the you know individuals um, sailing little boats. You know it's a very similar set of techniques. I think you're right. The rights have been sold in the past by the author, and there have been various attempts to get a film off the ground. Um, uh, various city finances involved, etc. But it's one of those things where um, it, it it never really got. <laughs> to avoid the use the pun it never got off the ground so to speak but um it it does lend itself as a book and as a, it lends itself to i think a tv long form series and given the fact that about six years ago one of dayton's other famous wartime novels ssgb 
was turned into a TV series by the BBC, it would suggest that uh, you know TV producers out there and film producers are always on the lookout for uh, material. Um, and I think yeah, Bomber I, lends itself to that form perhaps rather more than a, a movie. Absolutely, yes. I, I think I think you're right. And well, for the moment though, we're we're lucky to have the book, which um, well, which I had, I hadn't read before uh, embarking on this project, but it was a real revelation to me. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts about it, Rob. But bef- before we wrap up, um, we're asking this to everybody. Anthony Burgess only picked ninety nine novels for his list, um, so I wondered if you could add a hundredth novel to it, what would it be and why? Well, I've also picked a novel set in wartime, a novel set in the Second World War. It's The Kindly Ones by a French author called Jonathan Littell. It was published in uh, 2006. It only has seven chapters, but the book is nearly a thousand pages long. And in a similar way to uh, Bomber, it's a novel that takes a lot of investment from the reader. But when I read it through first time, it's what it, it left a, a real legacy with me. It's a it's a novel I've read two or three times uh, before. It's one of the most bleak bleakest, but also I think the most compelling books I've ever read. Full stop. I found it utterly unputdownable. It's uh, a novel told from the perspective of a character called Maximilian Auer, who's an SS officer, with most of the novel taking place on the Eastern Front, and it's unflinching in its recounting both of the the brutality of war. And again, as with Bomber, the impact of war on uh, a civilian population. It's the the, the kindly ones. Is the sort of it's the the the, no, the novelist Jonathan Littell uses the uh, they are the Furies from Greek literature. The uh, the are uh, the the Greek vengeful goddesses, and he uses that idea to basically explore what uh, wartime, in this case from the German perspective, what it does to the soul of a man. And it's utterly compelling. It's bleak and it's not a fun read. But just for the sheer humanity and the sort of horror of it all, I think it's worth a place on the 100th list. That's a great recommendation. Thanks so much, Rob, for taking part in the podcast today. Well, I'm very, very glad to have been part and I hope it's of interest to your listeners. You've been listening to 99 Novels a podcast by the International Anthony Burgess Foundation. You can find the Dayton Dossier, run by Rob Mallows, online at www.daytondossier.net. For more about Anthony Burgess and to find out how you can support the work of the Burgess Foundation, visit www.anthonyburgess.org. The theme music is Anthony Burgess's Concerto for Flute, Strings and Piano in D minor and is performed by No Dice Collective. They can be found online at nodicecollective.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.